One is yet another universal horror and suspense feature reflecting on man's relationship with the supernatural and the natural world. The other, an action-y period piece filled with a lot more violence and asylums. The Wolfman, they remade it. Hi, welcome back to another episode of They Remade It. I'm your host, Stuart. And I'm your host, Jacob. And, uh, goodness gracious, it's been a weird week, hasn't it, folks? I'm just kind of assuming for you all out there, I've, uh, kind of had an interesting experience of random power fluctuations and weather ranging between the most glorious feeling in the world to, dear God, why is it 90 degrees in, in October? But, you know, that's, uh, kind of just been that kind of time, hasn't it? I, I guess so. I mean, I haven't had those problems. It sounds like you and the audience have had a, a real tough go of it. It's, and I, you know, obviously I, I lump my experiences into a larger frame. I'm sure most people's weeks have been fine, but I don't know. This is, this is kind of the first October, you know, Halloween season I've had in a while that like actually kind of feels a little Halloween-ish, you know, where things are just kind of not necessarily spooky, but there's a certain edge to everything that I haven't seen in a few years, but I don't know if, it's, if that's necessarily a good thing. It just might be the slow onset of paranoia as i get older huh a very interesting and curious thought it it, it, it just feels like another autumn to me it i don't even really feel the holiday stuff anymore until like the day before maybe even for christmas it's it's been like that yeah, fair i think i only i only really start thinking about my mortality until october because that's when my birthday is which is actually at tomorrow at the time of recording um but that's really neither here nor there um yeah, just autumn and October especially just tends to be that time where it feels like shit just gets a little odd, you know? Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's uh, strange, you know, a little spooky and creepy for whatever reason. Well, um, to that end, um, I have at least tried to consume some spooky things uh, this time around, and I'll go first on this one because um, I've mostly failed in that. Um, I have not had a lot of chances to watch or read or even play a whole lot of anything. It is <laughs> fun. It has been busy here lately, I tell you. Um, yeah, that's um, I've been doing a fair bit. Uh, well, I, okay, I should I, I say that I technically have at least um, listened to something. I actually got to take a trip up to New York for a weekend um, earlier um, at earlier yeah at the beginning of this month um, to go see my sister playing her band. Actually, she has a band called Patio. Check them out; they're awesome. Um, so I got to do that. Went to a concert of theirs. It was in a um german beer hall in um somewhere in queens i think i don't really know my way around a lot of those areas but it was just some back room area that looks like it's seen more bar mitzvahs than alt you know alt punk rock um you know band performances um but you know such as it is um that was probably the biggest thing that's happened to me in the last few weeks beyond that uh work has decided to just continue being lots and lots of work um i've had to do a lot of yard work because we had a you know the city came out to fix our sewer line and then they placed down a bunch of sod on, you know, where they had dug up. And I was like, Oh, cool. That's really nice. And then I learned based on where I live that I need to be watering that sod like seven times a day. So I'm like, okay, that's less fun. Um, so it's a, uh, it's 
been a, it's been a mixed few weeks. Like not not as in like good and bad. As in I've just had to let it do a lot of different shit. It feels like just like I'm looking after my dog. She recently had to get like you know she recently got fixed, so she had surgery. So we we're looking after her. Had to do a bunch of stuff around the house. Had to do yard yard work. Went on a trip and all these different things. And I was like, man, I, this, it's only been three weeks since the last recording. <laughs> it's weird, man. Yeah. Oh life. god. Such is life. Such is fucking life. Um, but hey. The weather is a bit cooler now, so that's nice. Um, yeah, it's it's been a, it's been a time and a half, folks. So I apologize that I don't really have a whole lot to give you as far as cultural milestones or what have you for films or TV or movies or whatever. Um, the most I can really say is we've started watching the Hulu show Only Mur Murders in the Building, and it's made me realize that I don't really care for Martin Short as an actor. <laughs> um, no offense to the man, obviously, but just like the character, at least the character he plays in that, and most characters I've seen him in are just truly some of the most grating individuals I've ever fucking seen for one reason or another. I'm just like, I don't want this character on screen anymore. Um, so that's kind of my only thing to say about it so far. We've only, we're only three episodes in, so I don't really have a strong opinion one way or the other otherwise. Yeah. I don't, I don't find the man particularly funny. So yeah, no, <laughs> Steve Martin's great. And I think he's a great addition. Um, and I've, I've always liked him as an actor, but yeah, for whatever reason, I just never, never really kind of gone for Martin Short's deal. But yeah, that's uh, hmm. basically it. I've uh, yeah, I truly just haven't had either the time or inclination to do much of anything else. So I haven't even really played a lot of video games. <laughs> What's up? I'm guessing you've got a uh, fair chunk more than me. Uh, no. Um, so really? yeah, uh, for the first time in quite a while, um, I'm I'm a little bare. You know, it's it's been a tough a tough couple of weeks for me too. Just you know, just work and life in general, and I have not really watched anything of note. Like I, you know, watched a show here or there, but there are things that I was sort of already, you know, just getting caught up on things that I've been watching previously and as things go. Nothing really to talk about. I haven't even been to the theaters uh, yet since uh, I guess Equalizer three last month, which I already talked about on the show. So I, I don't really. Yeah, I, I don't really have anything. I've been playing some horror games, uh, you know, like uh, for I've been I've been going through and doing little write ups uh, of like the GameCube as I go through the games in that library because it's the biggest part of my uh, game collection at this point. And so I've been mm. playing some horror games on the GameCube, which there's not a lot. Uh, it's it's a Nintendo console. I imagine not a lot. Um, I imagine the Resident Evil series is kind of the beginning beginning and end of that. <laughs> Uh, it takes out about it. The Resident Evil franchise takes up about half of the horror game library that you'll find for the GameCube, and then well, everything else. Yeah, there's a couple of other like you know Eternal Darkness or but um, you know Luigi's Mansion if you want to stretch it, which it kind of counts as like a a, a fun pl puzzle horror ish adjacent game. Um, so oh, no. I was a kid, it scared me. Yeah, so you can go back and forth on that. But uh, so I did for the first time play uh, Resident Evil Zero, which uh. I think uh, it, it started on the GameCube. I don't think it was on anything else until the remaster a few years ago. Uh, mm. I went ahead and completed that, and I thought it was I thought it was fine. There, there's a mechanic in that game where you basically control two characters. You can swap between them, and you have to share inventory items, and occasionally they'll get separated, and you have to switch between the two in real time. And that sounds more interesting than it actually is, because ultimately they don't do a lot with it, outside of like, oh, you found a key... You can't use it. She has to use it. So you have to transfer it to her. I thought there'd be a lot more of like, you have like a little communicator with you and you start hearing trouble and it's like, oh God, you got to switch back to the other character because they're being attacked by zombies. There isn't really any of that. I think throughout the entire game, multiple playthroughs since I completed the damn thing, 
there was only one instance where it was like, oh, I died because I, you know, I was stupid and left one of the characters out in the open and they got attacked while I was fiddling with a lock with the other character, you know? So um, that doesn't get near as much play as I would have liked. Uh, yeah, and... I can't really say I've ever really been super interested in the Resident Evil games anyway. So that's just even when you like was when you say it's like that description, like, it's not as interesting as it sounds. I even heard that. I was like, I don't know if it even sounds that interesting on the on the level. <laughs> I, I think that I think that character management in and of itself can be an interesting concept just because a lot of games still don't utilize that, especially horror games like horror games don't mess around with that, really. But uh yeah. It's just it did it didn't live up to what I was hoping it would be, and I do like the Resident Evil franchise here and there. It's it's just it it's kind of a give and take sort of thing. It's like you know, one's okay. I like Resident Evil two, three's fine. I like Resident Evil four. I don't care for five or six. Seven was okay, that's... and I really liked eight. So it's like all over the board. Um, cool. You know that that's that's just how it goes. But Resident Evil Zero doesn't even really have any interesting monsters, you know, because Resident Evil obviously it's about the zombies, but then there's other like mutated monsters from these different. Uh, strains of viruses and things. So you, you get like interesting mm -hmm. creations, but Resident Evil Zero is like mutated chimps, giant centipede, giant frogs. It's like, okay, so it's just it animals, sounds, the game. <laughs> kind of sounds like Parasite Eve. Yeah, kind of. It, it It's just, it, it's not interesting. It's like, oh, that one of the bosses is a giant bat. Like you don't get any interesting fights until literally the last area of the game. And even then it's just like a bigger zombie than you're used to. At least Parasite Eve decided to jump the shark and have a fucking zombie T-Rex. Yeah, imagine, you, you know, imagine if you actually went to those sort of heights. And, and other Resident Evil games do get to uh, interesting heights like that. You know, and, and Resident Evil Zero is supposed to take place at the start of the franchise, but it's it's not like it was the first game in the franchise, so it doesn't have any excuse for not being as interesting. It, it no, had not. tons to work off of uh, by this point. But yeah, that's... Did they come after 4? Uh, I think... I think it came out before four. I think I think it released on the GameCube before Resident Evil Four did, but maybe I'm wrong gotcha, there. So um, it didn't have the the benefit of the cool campiness that it is for to benefit it yet. Uh, possibly not. If anything, even if I'm wrong on the dates, they're definitely the same era. I believe they were released within a year of one another. Hmm. But <laughs> anyhow, uh, I also played Geist on the GameCube. Um, one of very, very, very few M-rated games on that console. It's... Oh, uh, it, it's interesting. I had more fun with it, and it was definitely... Uh, I, I wouldn't call it scary, but I got more horror aspects out of it than Resident Evil Zero, for sure. Basically, the premise of this game is you're like an elite soldier that's investigating this compound, and you die, and the people running the compound take you and plug you into this machine, and basically they're they're... They're taking these dead bodies, they're extracting the souls of the bodies, and mind-controlling the ghosts of the people they killed, so that they can have these ghosts possess people that are going to a UN conference to kill a bunch of delegates. So you don't get games like that anymore. So, like, I just, I, that's, <laughs> no. You don't get concepts like this out anymore outside of, like, just some insane other bullshit. Out of, like, usually it comes out of Japan, but otherwise we get shit like fucking God of War Ragnarok, where everyone's just super serious to each other all the time. Ugh. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah, very. It's a very interesting game. It, it's not just ghosts. There's also like a doom element because there's a portal that gets left open, and so like demons from another reality start leaking in, and you got to fight these. Like there's spiders that can turn invisible, and there's these little things that hop around and spit flaming acid. Like there, there's a lot going on in this game, but uh, 
the most important aspect, I think, because it's it's kind of a first-person shooter, but it's also not because there's a healthy like Metal Gear Solid style stealth and puzzle element where you gotta po- you gotta possess objects to scare people, and when they're sufficiently scared, you can possess their body, and then you can interact with other people and items and solve puzzles to make your way through the different levels and areas. It's like, oh, I you know I scared and have now possessed a chef, and I have to poison these four guards to clear the cafeteria so that my buddy can make his way through without getting shot at. You know, it, there's a lot of that. Uh, so, so it's Mario Odyssey meets Sneak King, the licensed bird yeah, game. The bird game, game. Yeah, yes. <laughs> uh, but horror, it, it's a lot scarier than Mario Odyssey. Not as scary as Sneak King. Um, <laughs> it, uh, so you know what? That, that was interesting, at least. A very interesting concept, and I had fun with it. Uh, completing it, with, because that's how I go about games like this, is a huge pain in the ass, uh, because there's collectible items in each stage that'll unlock, like, uh, minigame maps for multiplayer, because it has, like, a GoldenEye 64-style multiplayer, and, you know, you're unlocking different characters. And that's fine, because they're just collectibles that you can run around the stage and find. But there's also, like, a text log that keeps track of every single, you know, like, in a, in a game when you walk up and you click A or X or whatever on a door, and it says, this door's locked, or you click it on a desk, and it's, like, it's littered with papers and things. There's literally a text log that keeps track of every single one of those in the game and what your percentage for collecting those is. And when you get down to the end and it's like, oh, I'm missing two things in chapter two, I got to play through chapter two and just click on everything to find out what text log I'm missing. Oh, it was a coffee cup next to a computer. I didn't I didn't investigate the coffee cup. And it's pointless. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't unlock anything. You're not getting secrets from this. You investigate a coffee cup in the text box is a good cup of joe. But for some reason, that's a completion criteria and the percentage is actually logged to your save file. Like, this isn't just, like, a thing I did out of madness. Like, they keep track of this, and it's crazy. It drives me crazy. So, fun yeah, to play. Like this game was, <laughs> it sounds like this game was made specifically to annoy you. <laughs> uh, it did. It, 20, 20-ish years later, uh, it, it is annoying. But uh, it's it's done now. And uh, that's Geist. I had fun with Geist, for the most part. Well, right then. Um, yeah, no, that's that sounds fascinating. And... You know, there's that period of gaming where really we were just doing whatever the fuck we wanted, and it's kind of beautiful in its own way. Yeah. It's like you were saying, we don't get concepts that are like that anymore. We we have a couple of franchises that sort of carry through with either hyper-serious or slightly campy plots, but they're all kind of grounded in the same forms of reality. And then to the other end of that, we get, like, high-concept-style games, most of which are indie you know, your RPGs where you're not supposed to fight or your uh, puzzle games where you take pictures and have to, you know, like a super liminal type game. It's, mm. it, it doesn't feel like there's a lot of in-betweens. And if there are, they aren't done very well. Not fair. Um, kind of wish we had a bit more experimental stuff lately, but you know what? I also don't really want to waste the money, so. <laughs> there you go. It's a blessing. Games are, games are shit and it's a blessing. But uh, yeah, that was our ability to stretch out the fact that neither of us have done jack shit for the last few weeks. Um, (laughs) So I'm proud of us. I'm proud of us for that, at least. Um, But it gives us the opportunity to get into the meat of things a bit earlier. Oh, yeah. The real meaty meat. It's the Wolfman here on the the They Reslate It or whatever. You fix that in post.
Firstly, uh, we'll be talking The Wolfman from 1941, directed by George Wagner. Larry Talbot, played by Lon Chaney Jr., returns to his ancestral home in Wales to bury his recently deceased brother and reconcile with his estranged father, Sir John Talbot, played by Claude Rains. Larry falls in love with a local girl named Gwen Conliffe, played by Evelyn Ankers, who runs an antique shop. As an excuse to talk to her, he purchases a walking stick decorated with a silver wolf's head. Gwen tells him that it represents a werewolf, a man who changes into a wolf at certain times of the year. The werewolf always sees a pentagram on the palm of his next victim. Various villagers recite a poem whenever werewolves are mentioned. Even a man who is pure in heart and says his prayers by night may become a wolf when the wolf's bane blooms and the autumn moon is bright. Though Gwen firmly refuses Larry's persistent proposals for a date, they meet the night... They meet that night at the proposed time and are joined by Gwen's friend Jenny, played by Faye Helm, to go have their fortunes told. The Romani fortune teller, Bela, played by Bela Lugosi, imagine that, sees a pentagram when he examines Jenny's palm and frantically sends her away. While awaiting their turns, Larry and Gwen take a walk. Gwen informs Larry that she is engaged. They hear Jenny scream. Larry attempts to rescue Jenny, who is being attacked by a wolf. He then kills the wolf with his new walking stick, but is bitten on the chest. Police investigating the scene find Jenny's throat torn out and Bela battered to death, with Larry's walking stick clearly the murder weapon in the latter case. Suspicion on Larry deepens when he cannot substantiate this story of fighting a wolf since his chest wound miraculously healed, healed overnight. The fact that Larry and Gwen were not with Jenny when she was attacked additionally raises suspicions of adultery. Though Gwen's fiancé Frank believes in their innocence, Larry and Gwen become local pariahs. Bela's mother, Maleva, played by Maria Ospenskaya, reveals to Larry that the wolf which bit him was Bela in the form of a wolf, and Larry is now a werewolf too because he was bitten by one. Silver is the only thing that can kill a werewolf. Maleva gives him a charm to prevent the transformation. Uncertain whether to believe her, though, he instead gives the charm to Gwen for protection. Like Maleva warned, Larry transforms into a humanoid wolf hybrid on the following night and kills a villager. He returns to normal the next morning with no memory of his rampage. Authorities believe the killing to be the work of a wolf, so they set traps and send out hunting parties. The next night, Larry turns into a werewolf and is caught in one of the traps. Maleva uses a spell to temporarily change him back to human form, allowing him to free himself before a hunting party finds him. Now convinced he's a werewolf, a distraught Larry decides to leave town. When he says his goodbye to Gwen, he sees a pentagram on her palm. He tells his father he's a werewolf and killed Bela and the villager, but his father thinks Larry's delusional and ties him to a chair to prevent him from leaving and prove to him he is not a werewolf. When the moon rises, Larry transforms again, breaks free of his restraints, and attacks Gwen. Not recognizing the werewolf as his son, Sir John bludgeons him over the head with Larry's silver-headed cane, which Larry gave him. Maleva arrives and again uses the spell. Sir John and Gwen watch in horror as the dead werewolf transforms into Larry's human corpse. Next, we'll be talking about The Wolfman, from 2010, directed by Joe Johnston. Remember him? He directed Captain America, the first Avenger. In 1891, Ben Talbot, played by Simon Merrills, is attacked in the woods by a humanoid werewolf. His brother, Shakespearean actor Lawrence Talbot, played by Benicio del Toro, returns home after receiving a letter from Ben's fiancée Gwen Conlet, played by Emily Blunt. This letter informs him of Ben's disappearance. Lawrence reunites with his estranged father, Sir John, played by Anthony Hopkins, who informs him that Ben's body has already been found mutilated. At a local pub, Lawrence overhears the locals believing it to be a wild animal. However, many blame Romani who are camped outside the town. Another claims that there was a similar murder 25 years earlier, a werewolf being the suspected killer. Lawrence has flashbacks as he tours his family's home, where his mother Solana, played by Christina Contes, seemingly committed suicide when he was a boy. Lawrence saw his father standing over her dead body. He was sent to Lambeth Hospital in London for a year, having suffered from delusions connected to the event. Lawrence visits the Romani during a full moon. The local townspeople raid the camp to confiscate a dancing bear that they believe is the killer. The werewolf then attacks the camp, killing several Romani and townspeople before biting Lawrence and escaping. A Romani woman named Maleva, played by Geraldine Chaplin, sutures Lawrence's shoulder wounds, but another Romani insists that now-cursed Lawrence should be killed before he kills another. Maleva refuses, saying he's still a man and only a loved one can release him. After a night of fever dreams, Lawrence recovers with unnatural speed and develops heightened vitality and senses. Inspector Francis Satterlein, played by Hugo Weaving, arrives to investigate, suspecting Lawrence is responsible based on his mental history. 
Terrified of possibly harming Gwen, Lawrence sends her to London. He follows Sir John to Solana's crypt, where Sir John locks himself in a room and gives his son a cryptic warning. Lawrence undergoes a painful transformation into a werewolf before running off into the woods and killing a group of hunters. The next morning, Everlene and the police arrest Lawrence. Taken back to Lambeth, Lawrence is subjected to advanced treatments overseen by the sadistic Dr. Honegger, played by Anthony Sher. Sir John visits Lawrence, explaining 25 years ago during a hunting expedition to the Hindukush in India, he was bitten by a feral boy infected with lycanthropy. Sir John was the werewolf who bit Lawrence and is responsible for the recent murders, including Solana and Ben. He made Singh, played by Art Malik, lock him up every full moon night every full moon night, and contemplated suicide for years. Driven insane by his condition, Sir John has come to embrace his curse and has decided to let himself loose during his transformations. He informs Lawrence the moon will be full and leaves a razor in case Lawrence contemplates suicide. By nightfall, Dr. Honegger conducts an, an evening lecture with Lawrence as a case study. Lawrence attempts to warn the attendees of the impending danger, but they laugh it off and continue. Transforming once more, Lawrence kills Dr. Honegger and a few orderlies before he escapes and goes on a rampage. The next day, Lawrence visits Gwen's antique shop for help. They admit their love for each other and share a passionate kiss. Aberlene waits outside Talbot Hall, arming himself and accompanying policemen with silver bullets. Gwen searches for Maleva, hoping to cure Lawrence, but Maleva tells him there isn't any cure and Lawrence must die. Lawrence arrives at Talbot Hall, where Sir John has killed Singh and one of Aberlene's men. He loads a gun with Singh's silver bullets and attempts to shoot Sir John. Unfortunately, he realizes too late Sir John has removed the powder from the cartridges years ago. As the two struggle, with Sir John killing Lawrence with a silver cane, the full moon arises and the Talbots transform into werewolves. They set Talbot Hall on fire during their fight. Sir John initially gains the upper hand, wounding Lawrence. However, the latter manages to kick his deranged father into the fireplace and ultimately decapitates his father, avenging the deaths of his mother and brother. Still in his werewolf form, Lawrence pursues Gwen and corners her above a gorge. She pleads with Lawrence and his consciousness recognizes her. The police and hunters approach, distracting Lawrence long enough for Gwen to fatally shoot him with Everleen's gun. Lawrence reverts to human form, thanking Gwen for setting him free and dies in her arms. As Talbot Hall burns, Everleen is horrified with the knowledge he was bitten by Lawrence as he watches the full moon come into view, foreshadowing his imminent fate in becoming the next werewolf. The end. Tragic. Twas never a story before. Like that of the Wolfman. Maybe. Well, you, get, you you can't name any other wolf movies. It's just these two. I'm trying to come up with a funny, ironic joke, like something that could be construed for wolf, but I didn't come up with one fast enough, so the timing is gone. Oh, <laughs> okay. I was like, what are you, what, what, what's going on? Is he going to say Wait, Balto? Got Balto? it. What is he? What? what Balto, you damn it. Balto would have been better. <laughs> Shit. Uh, just... Just go to, go to the go to the full circle. I, I need to sit in shame. All right, we have a number here, so please bear with me. We actually had uh, much more, but in keeping with our general theme, I, I have reduced it down to something more manageable. Uh, firstly, to go through Wolfman 1941, uh, perhaps the most obvious one, Bela Lugosi, who played Bela in The Wolfman. We just talked about him. In Dracula, he played Count Dracula, 1931, of course. Doris Lloyd played Mrs. Williams in 1941's The Wolfman. She voiced the the Rose in 1951's Alice in Wonderland. Oh, huh. Finally, for 41, we have Monty O'Grady, who played a villager in The Wolfman. He was also a club patron in The Karate Kid in 1984, and another club patron in 1957's Zero Hour. So Monty O'Grady getting around. He's really hanging out places. He just keeps accidentally hanging out places where they're cast they're doing movies. Yeah, he says, I didn't mean to be here. That's a 40-year span between the Wolfman and the Karate Kid, by the way. He, he's been doing this for a long time, just going to bars and... Oh, are they shooting something? Moving on to 2010, uh, we have Anthony Hopkins, who played Sir John Talbot in The Wolfman. He was Daniel Webster in everyone's favorite, Shortcut to Happiness. Uh, he oh. was the narrator in Ron Howard's How the Grinch Stole Christmas from 2000, and he was William Parrish in 1998's Meet Joe Black. Of all the movies 
we've done that have him. This is the only one where it actually feels appropriate. <laughs> like, it's funny. The other three that we've covered, it's like, oh, jeez. It's like, really? <laughs> you were in those movies? Okay. If you if you only saw those three, you'd be like, Anthony Hopkins fucking sucks. He's a hack. He just does <laughs> like, whatever what? rules. <laughs> yeah. Like, we've done none of his heavy hitters. Yeah. So. <laughs> oh. You know, I guess I suppose there's no surprise they haven't remade A Bridge Too Far. But, you know, still. No, no. Unfortunately, no. <laughs> Oh, uh, moving on. It also should be stated that everyone in the Wolfman that I'm, that we're talking about in Full Circle today is is a relatively heavy hitter to some degree. Um, the next person being Emily Blunt, who was Gwen Conliffe in the Wolfman. Uh, and as opposed to covering her in any other main roles, she was the receptionist for Miss Piggy in 2011's The Muppets. We, we get some weird roles in this show, don't we? We really do. I, I think that that's what we're, we're getting back to is like, yeah, we're not covering any of these actors. Big uh, rises to fame. Usually it's, you know, Godfather aside, it's all stuff like this. Yeah. Huh. <clears throat> well, uh, speaking of Captain America, the first Avenger, Joe Johnston pulled back on Hugo Weaving, who was Inspector Francis Aberlein and of course was Red Skull in 2011's Captain America. So, so that uh, was a so that was a bigger role. So like that captain yeah. that was a that's a that's a more it's not a you know career maker, but that was a significant, you know, cultural landstone. Landstone? Yeah. Landmark. Yeah, that was an interesting turn of phrase. It's also interesting that uh Captain America is not the first time that Joe Johnston and Hugo Weaving worked together. Just a year before yeah. they did this. So Yeah, fair. Much different vibe. Uh very much so. <laughs> this, uh, is a, and... this is what this is what Aberleen turned into instead of a wolfman. It was the red skull. Oh yeah. <laughs> Uh, the timeline. Does the timeline match up? It actually might. <laughs> like, slightly? If you go with, like, it, it would... I don't know. This is a weird, not a sequel, totally a sequel theory thing. It's like how, like, how there's a theory how Snowpiercer is a sequel to Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Ew. Yeah, it's Moved weird. on from kids to bugs? All right. I guess. Uh, well... <laughs> I'm sure it's more sound than I'm making it out to be. But, uh, finally, the last one for 2010, Max von Sydow, of all people was a passenger on a train in The Wolfman 2010. So just a background passenger, Max, the great Max von Sydow, just a regular passenger. Uh, we've talked about him on the show before. He was Chief Justice Fargo in 1995's Judge Dredd. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's like, he gives the main character that's the silver-headed cane that ends up becoming kind of a, you know, Chekhov's gun for later. Yeah. How does he just, like, know? Like, when he mentioned Blackmore, he just knew, it's like, oh, this guy's going to be dealing with werewolves. Like, did he know his father or something? Like, what the? I want to know more about that character. I don't know. To go back to our uh, episode-ending question from last time, give that guy a movie. You know, give, give this guy a... I want to know what his history is. I bet you, you want to know what I think? That might have just been actually Van Helsing. Ooh, interesting. We're connecting the Universal monster universes because Universal couldn't be bothered to. Yeah. All right, well, that, that's it for Full Circle, by the by. Oh, fantastic. Um, well, you know, I, you know, you know, I hope to have a movie about that guy. Um which I guess we do technically have a Van Helsing movie, but it's not amazing, honestly. Um, but more to the point of what we're watching here. Um, you know, I was really looking forward to the original Wolfman when, you know, it obviously being having its setting in England. Um, I was really looking forward to having an early 40s film where we didn't have to be subjected to quite so many transatlantic accents, that sort of deal. And God damn it, was I disappointed on that front. <laughs> <laughs> My God, I just... We've done enough movies of a, like in this general era at this point for me to state firmly I'm really damn tired of that style of voice acting voice acting well it's not voice acting but that's that's that, that voice that type that of vocal accented performance that vocal performance yes thank you um of like that generalized 
you know, man of the 40s, yeah, kind of kind of deal. I'm just I'm just kind of tired of it, y'all. It's, like, it's it's the same voice every single damn time at this point. I just do not care for it. <laughs> It's just it's so annoying and like we had a little bit of break and even hell it even felt like at times i started hearing it come out of the english characters as well i was like how are you doing this <laughs> why are you why are you participating in this madness Holy. um that's you know that's my immediate thought when thinking about the original wolfman um that and um man i miss the cinematography from dracula it's, yeah it's a uh, they really did kind of downshift on this one i won't lie yeah, but to that end, I'll say that um, while the actual shot construction leaves a lot to be desired, and I actually, I thought that there was more that was done with uh, the transformation makeup as well. I was a bit shocked at how lackluster it was, and I understand this is 1941. I've just heard people hype it up a lot, and I, I saw it, and I was like, oh, well, I can, you know, I could see that as impressive for the time, but I guess I was expecting a little more. Yeah, and considering how much it's talked about, yeah. Like, even going so far as being an inspiration for, you know, folks like Rick Baker and Tom Savini, you know, like the transformation scene in uh, An American Werewolf in London is often lauded as one of the best practical effect uh, transformation scenes ever done. Mm -hmm. And, I, you know, that was directly inspired by the Wolfman. Yeah. And I'm like, man, and there was get... a lot of liberty taken uh, with that inspiration there. I gotta say, because as it is, um, it's just they have transformations in the Wolfman in that they just have just the same shot just cut out like they do it it's basically just a slideshow of here's the guy's legs and now here's the next like we fade into a shot looking at the same legs but now they have more hair and it's clear that it's a different shot because the guy's pants are all ruffled up and different from the first shot so they don't sync up and it just does that for basically every part of them i'm like really that's that's what people are on about like that's that's like we've seen more impressive effects in other movies of this era like hell dracula had pretty decent effects yeah i i guess um I think I also, like, Mandela affected myself into believing that there was, like, it was still a slideshow transformation scene in The Wolfman, but one of, like, his face. But maybe yeah. I'm thinking of, like, the son of, or, or not son of Wolfman, there, there is no son of Wolfman. Uh, Frankenstein meets the Wolfman or something like that. Um, maybe I'm just thinking of I a different agree. movie. Might be thinking of the remake, which, to be fair, the transformation scenes in that are fucking wicked. I think they're pretty like, cool. I it's yeah. it's one of the few things that I actually sort of jived with in the movie, to be honest. Yeah, like they go the for the full because there are you know, th there's like there's different forms of how people have done like werewolf or monster hand formations in the past. Um, sometimes they're kind of like seamless things. Um, but this one went fully for the it's an agonizing process of his entire skeletal structure shifting, and you see it like slightly dated CG, but holds up pretty well all things considered because like. He does it. He like transforms in most cases in fully lit scenes. There's very few times where we actually look away from him where he's covered in darkness. At the very least, the very famous scene of him transforming inside like the asylum in the medical theater is the most famous instance. Um, mm -hmm. But the fact that they go for it and actually like don't try to hide it as much as you think they would is pretty friggin' impressive. It's 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 a gruesome sequence. I I honestly love it. And then follow that up with the makeup work of you know the actor himself actually done up in actual practical makeup and everything after the fact it looks pretty great i'm pretty sure that's actually won an oscar for for their makeup i mean it might have i i think it's well done especially the fact that it's actually makeup that's i, I mean obviously there's a ton of assistance when it comes to the actual transformation stuff you can't really get away from that but the the, the fact that they decided to go with actual makeup for and a hey, lot of the uh, performances you know props hey looking at the visual effects rick baker <laughs> 
well, there you go. Rick, Rick, yeah. Rick Baker, what are you going to do? Yep, that's um, the man. Um, that being yeah, said, uh, I wish that they used Rick Baker for more of the movie because there's uh, yeah. there's some gore scenes that look pretty good. I mean, well, first of all, we can talk about this a little bit. I'm sure you have some thoughts on it, uh, good or bad. Mm. Or, well, I shouldn't say good or bad, but uh, in alignment with me or not in alignment with me. But yeah, uh, I think it go, I think it goes a lot, way too hard on the gore and the viscera. Um, that being yeah. said, that being said, I think that there are some gore effects that look pretty decent. Uh, to the point where I can't really tell if it's practical, CG, assisted practical, or just CG. But then there are some others that are just wolf. There, there, there's one in the yeah. asylum when he breaks out of the chair and is attacking folks. He, like, goes down in the frame to attack a guy as people in the background are running. And it is the worst. Like, we were just talking about this with Renfield. Renfield has some moments like this, too. The worst 90s-looking CG blood spurting up from the bottom of the screen. I was like, what the fuck is that? Yeah, because up to that point, um, a lot of it had looked like fine, you know. I think because um, at least when the one that I watched, it was like the whole like oh unrated cut thing where it's meant to be like Same. oh it's you know too much for rated R, which it's not. We've seen worse. Um, but I think it was part of that where if we had just seen like the original theatrical release, it probably would have been a lot more restrained, and that probably would have been to its benefit because I think a lot of those like I've, I've noticed that a lot in a lot of cases where there's like unrated cut things, it's usually just them adding more blood splatters where they don't need to be. Um, Cause as it is, what instances we do get that are clearly at least, at least partially practical. Yeah. They're done with a decent amount of restraint to the point of like, yeah, this is, you know, gruesome. And I can tell there's actually like stakes and actually like fear and pain involved with this. Like the first guy we see get killed on screen, you know, we see his stomach is slashed. We start, you know, we see a bit of his like stomach entrails and stuff, but I fully expect it to be a full thing of like, he's holding it all in. And like, there's like hanging out of his body. Like a lot of like movies would have gone to at this point, which I'm getting kind of tired of that being just like, Oh yeah, we're totally cool. Just seeing people's guts hang out of them now. Um, yeah. I think we're, I think we, we've gone a little excessive on that one. I won't lie. Um, but they, they held it back a fair bit. Um, they just, they made it so like, yeah, this is gruesome. This is bad. And that's that. Um, but yeah, all the like other instances of like the CG ass blood splatters flying up. Like there's a scene where he gets trapped inside of um, which you know of the time a double decker bus um, where he's like attacking innocent people and things. And there's a few instances of that and of you know random blood splatters in there as well. Um, so that's <laughs> okay. And also, and I promise I'll get to the, uh, the true content of the film as well and just like how they relate to each other. There's also, even though it is mostly practical, there's also the werewolf fight at the end where he's fighting his father. <laughs> it just it just looks silly it's, it's it's like they're jumping around in these suits which like normally we see them like out in open fields and just like running through trees and shit so we don't see them doing a whole lot of like grander acrobatics and things but in this one we're just seeing these guys getting like wire pulled up into each other and just like slapping into each other with these plastic outfits and everything i'm just like it's so silly looking <laughs> i mean just, keep in mind and how the that... And the fact that you can clearly see that it's Anthony Hopkins as that werewolf, which, like, yeah, that's the point. He's wearing the makeup. But it just it just pulls you out of the experience even more of, like, wow, Hannibal Lecter's doing some wacky shit right now. And, and keep in mind that this is this is Joe Johnston that directed this movie. A lot of that fight feels literally like Marvel stuff. It like does. jumping off of walls and flying into people. Not to bring My... up Marvel again, but it, it, it was insane. Yeah, like, I don't know why they just decided to go, like, with the full jumping around and things like they could have made it a bit more direct like slashing at each other stuff like actual animals but but no just wire fighting for some reason that ends with a really mixed cg fire effect at the end of it yeah uh, hmm. <laughs> there's a lot of mixed stuff about this movie one of the things one of my big takeaways just in general is that because we, we were talking about like you were talking about the cinematography and like you know set design whatever of the 411 yes. one and i agree but 
uh, <laughs> transatlantic accent aside, now that I know how you feel about that, I think hey, that no, I think that this is a, a powerhouse cast that's going through this. Like, I mean, Lon Chaney Jr. in and of himself is often lauded by folks as one of the greatest actors of that generation and of that's that true, time yeah. period. And I, I think he I think he does a good job with uh, this role. I, I'm not overly familiar with a lot of his performances. Uh, I mean, e- even just on this show, the closest we've come is his father, right? Uh, Lon Chaney, who was uh, the Phantom of the Opera. So, yes, yes. Um, so I don't have much to compare it to, but like the folks that, even just the folks that surround him in this and their performances, like Maria Ospinskaya, who is the first thing that I think of when you say the Wolfman is her, uh, and, you know, her, her speech is the, the way you walk is the underneath, you know. Um, oh, yeah. That this she likes the to earlier say. instances of, this is one of the earlier instances of, like, mainstream, you know, the mystical Romani woman. Um, yes. Which, there's been a fair number of those ever since. Yeah, and a lot, a lot of those in pop culture now are either, well, it, it varies to a degree because there's often, like, the performing Romani, like, traveling circus sort of deal, which uh, I think the 2010 film leans a bit more into. Uh, but you'll yeah. see that in like the Hunchback of Notre Dame and things like that. But a lot of isolated Romani women portrayed in pop culture, I think, are directly inheriting from this Maria Spinskaya character in this movie. I really mm-hmm. do think so. Um, and the rare instance of being the bad guy in the case of Drag Me to Hell. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Well, that's, well, so, uh, oh, so, that's a, sort of a the fun, bad guy, I guess. That's a fun movie that I have a lot of problems with. Um, oh, my God. Yeah. yeah but... Uh, yeah, and Claude Rains, I think, is kind of the MVP of the movie for as much as people oh. like John uh, John Chaney. For as much as pe- people like Lon Chaney Jr., Claude Rains... Like, I already love Claude Rains as the Invisible Man, which, hey, another Universal Monster movie we could do at some point. But uh, oh, yeah. in this role as the father, I think he's really carrying a good chunk of the scenes on his back there. He does, yeah, he kind of has the, like, the role of like the, you know, like the anchoring character, which I think is important for a story like this where there's just so much crazy shit going on. He's kind of like a maple to be able to work with. Yeah. Yeah. No, obviously, no. obviously we have a lead with Lon Chaney, but he's going through some shit in this movie. So, you know, yeah, exactly. And can we talk about the fact that Bela Lugosi is in this movie for five minutes? Oh my God. The <laughs> yeah. I like, I saw him pop up in the thing and I was, I had to double check of that. Like, Oh, Bela, they played by Bela Lugosi. Wait, what? <laughs> like, and then, yeah, he's there. And we don't even see him as the wolf man. It's just an actual wolf. Which, did you ever explain that? The fact that um, uh, that the Bella character is only ever shown as a wolf versus the main character is the wolf man. Is it because he's wearing that charm thing that reduces it or something? No, I don't believe that's explained. <laughs> okay, cool. Because I was thinking about that the whole time. Like, okay, are they going to bring up the fact that the first case, it was literally just a wolf. And there's an entire extended period where... And it's not even a thing of like, oh, it's just a plot hole. Like, they just didn't bother to, like, you know, have Bella Lugosi around for long enough. No, at a certain point, you know, Lawrence is talking to, you know, the Romani woman, um, to Maleva, sorry, um, is being like, I was attacked by a normal wolf. I'm telling you, it was just a normal wolf. I was like, okay, so no, they're pointing it out. So could they maybe explain why it was just a wolf? Because <laughs> that's kind of a big change. Yeah, to, to that end, I, the 2010 film isn't as apparent with it but they kind of have that problem too now that i think about it because a lot i mean they're bigger than wolves but a lot of like during the romani camp scene when the attack is happening you see a lot of the silhouettes of the wolves running in the background and they look like bodybuilding wolves but they're still structured like wolves and when you see anthony hopkins and benicio del toro turn into the wolfmen 
they don't look like they could easily run on all fours because they're they're structured yeah. more like an ape. And then we even <laughs> see them we even see them run on all fours, and that's clearly not really working out for them. Yeah, um, that, I'm like that is not the same type of you know what you did with the CGI silhouettes at the camp. Like these are different think, types of wolf werewolves. I think they kind of just ran into the problem of you know that was at that point where the full Wolfman figure hadn't been revealed on screen, so they just had to like keep the tension up by just like making him extremely fast and everything and making him even more threatening looking. But then once they actually had him on screen, they were like, okay, we got him in makeup and everything. Now we got to make him do this shit. And there's nothing we can really do about the fact that no human on earth is going to look normal trying to run on all fours. And like, you know, we've all, we've all seen those interesting characters from the early parts of the, of the internet trying to believe themselves to be horses or wolves. It didn't look normal then. It doesn't look normal now. <laughs> those people are still at it. I mean, that but, wasn't, yeah, that, that's their life but you know yeah, but, just but, yeah. I, the power to him it doesn't look normal I, it, that's just kind of the way it lands i think and yeah it, you know it's it's just yeah i guess it's an interesting not i mean not only is an in it, it an interesting conundrum to find yourself in it's interesting that both movies have kind of have that problem just in different ways yeah well to that end because i you know since we talked about a lot of the practical level things a lot of the effects level things um I'd like to be able to talk about the like comparing the stories directly because I imagine we'll run into similar issues of that sort in the story where they have, they have similar they have similar upticks and similar downticks and then I want to see like how you feel about how one or the other was you know superior if, if the you know 2010 one you know um, improved on its predecessor in any way because I feel it did in a lot of ways honestly. Sure. Well, I was I was kind of, I was excited going into this one because I thought that I was going to have an easy time with the synopsis. I didn't know that 2010 was going to do as that. much as it did right yeah and there are some things that i like about the story there are other things that i think are kind of stupid and i don't really care but, mm. but maybe that's just and i and I, this isn't like dracula or something where it's like a movie that i've seen a bunch of times this is my first time seeing either of these movies so it's not like i have a nostalgic attachment to the wolfman or lon cheney jr as the wolfman that's not present for me that being there. said <laughs> that being said there there are some things where i'm like well the 41 movie I think clearly does this better through the less is more uh, sort of edict. But then there are mm -hmm. other improvements that 2010 adds to the plot where it's like, well, you know what? I can see where there might be some clarification that would be needed. Or, you know, maybe this was a plot point that is handled better with more scope. So it, it's kind of a mixed bag, but I kind of know what your immediate thoughts are on it now that I, you've, you've more or less shown your hand. So uh, I'm curious little... where your thoughts lied. I mean, I do. Okay. I like through the fact that in a lot of these earlier films, they don't try to outstay their welcome any. Like, they have a story, if it's under, you know, an hour and a half, it doesn't matter. They'll do it in under an hour and a half. The fact that, you know, the original was only an hour long was honestly surprising, and I don't find that to be a problem. But it just also doesn't really feel like a lot really ends up happening all that much in the end. Um, which, again, is, I guess, kind of a thing in a lot of those early movies, especially, you know, horror movies. Um, if, if one can consider certain movies like this technically horrors. Um, but... It's, they very much have this tendency to, to try and stay very self-contained. You know, all these events are all these things happening just within this particular village or this random town or this particular family. All these random things happening like between this and um, the fly and even kind of Dracula to a degree. There's very little kind of bleed over into the world at large. And so at times it can just kind of feel inconsequential, the things that are going on. Like I don't necessarily need to be a thing of like, oh, they're being written about in the news and all these crazy things happening. But I actually really liked the fact that the remake decided to branch out directly from the, you know, village of Blackmore and actually had, you know, instances where shit was happening in London where like, it wasn't just like, Oh, this is just some crazy thing happening in this village. No one will ever believe it. No, this motherfucker is murdering innocents in the middle of London. 
Like this shit's crazy. Um, and so I like it when a movie's willing to just kind of try to step out of its own little. It's it's it doesn't feel like it has to stay self-contained. It feels like it can interact with the world and create a world where yeah, this just happens. Um, rather than because I've always gotten I've gotten very tired of the concept of oh this is could happen in our real world but you know it's all completely out of our eyesight or in some way covered up and whatever so it, in the end just may as well have happened in the fantasy world. Um, but the fact that it's actually willing to branch out from that is probably my favorite part of the remake. Um, it's willing to go higher with the scope that I really think only is, is to its benefit. It doesn't necessarily execute it the best at times. In certain cases, it was kind of weird. Um, the whole him being in the asylum thing, I think dragged just a little bit. Um, just, you know, needed to have scenes of, you know, Victorian London asylums and the fact that they were basically more akin to torture than actual, you know, mental health. Um, you know, that's a known fact at this point. And I feel like we didn't need to have Mr. Benicio del Toro go through that in order to bring that across. Um, but I still, I think it made a certain amount of sense. It definitely, it was definitely that, you know, fall from grace kind of moment for the character that I think was probably appropriate. Like, I don't know how else they could have done it other than just, you know, having him, his character just keep on killing and everything, which I think would have gotten old. Um, so yeah, I think, I think the biggest benefit that the remake has is, is the fact that it's willing to do more with what it has, which I think is what a remake should do. It, it takes what is in a good original concept, takes influence and inspiration from it, and then sees where it can go with that rather than trying to just, you know, kind of remake the wheel essentially. Yeah. No, I, I can, I can definitely see where you're coming from there. And as far as the, as far as my views on the story uh, and how they come together, I kind of break it up into two camps specifically for 2010. Uh, one where I think it improved and the other where I don't think it did. Uh, the, the improvement I think is in regards to the actual, the actual text of the time, since this is kind of a yes. period piece that takes place in the late 1800s, the context of the time and how they bring things, uh, like religion into it specifically where it's like, you know, they're, they're the, the priest of Outtown that is, uh, making claims against Lawrence for being a demon and how they've welcomed this outsider into their community that is causing the strife specifically and how that's like an extra layer to this society and this culture uh mm -hmm. how, how the wolfman sort of fits into that as as an idea and to that end uh i like the fact that th this isn't something where it's like well it is to a degree because of the asylum stuff but it's not like oh this man is a is a murderer that thinks he's a, a wolf at a certain point it's like everyone is well aware that this guy is a monster like an, yeah, a literal transforming monster and it's like, okay, well, now we have to hunt a monster man. And then there's a good chunk of the movie, specifically in the third act, that is dedicated to not hunting a man, but hunting a beast that they know can rip their body apart. And that I, I found that interesting, too, as opposed to 41's sort of mystery, where obviously uh, Maria Ospenskaya's character is the only one that's really aware of the transformation that Lon Chaney Jr. is going through until the end of the movie, once he's already dead, and, and uh, uh, Gwen and his father, uh, John. Sir John uh, get to see the transformation. I, I like the fact that there's a good chunk of the 2010 movie that's dedicated to this guy's a wolf man. Uh, let's kill him. Yeah, like <laughs> I that's kind of, and that's like and that's like what I'm saying. I like it when the movie realizes, oh shit, this is wild. Let's run with it. Like let's let's bring up the fact that yeah, there's a wolf man. What you gonna do about it? <laughs> and not just yeah. like ooh, we could it, this the 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 41 one always it kind of had that feeling of all those sort of episodes in like the twilight zone where it's like oh it could happen in your town like that kind of vibe of you don't know what your town is actually like behind closed doors or whatever the fuck where it just kind of felt kind of trite in, the, in this day and age um so the 2010 sure. one just goes no fuck you this is just crazy this is what's happening and, and, and that's kind of what i was talking about last uh last episode that we did with renfield where i like the fact that it's not like 
you know, the characters are told that Dracula is real and they're like, oh, it's the Dracula, the Count Dracula. Like, <laughs> Ben Schwartz is like, I have Dracula's coffin. And his mother's like, ooh, Dracula's coffin. You know, everyone just sort of buys into it, which is fun. I, I think I like it a bit more in something like the 2010 Wolfman because it fits into the universe, whereas Renfield is trying to fill itself as a comedy. And not to go back to that episode, I don't think that entirely works. Um, but yeah. I, I do like that general idea of just sort of going with the flow of the story, especially in an age where everything, everything, whether it be movie, TV, game, it has to be a deconstruction of something. You know, it's like, oh, God, oh yeah. are are we really doing this right now? It's like, yeah, you are. You can't yeah. you can't do the thing and complain about it at the same time. My God, have your cake and blow it up too, Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> um, to touch on the things in 2010's story that I don't really care for, and I don't think that they added anything to it. Well, hmm. when I say that, obviously they added to it. They added like 40 minutes of runtime. But in regards Just... to <laughs> in regards to did it serve the story, I don't really care about the Talbot family. I don't care yeah. that his father's a werewolf. I don't care that he killed his mother. I don't care that he was having hallucinations of his dead brother and was therefore like he spent a year in the asylum as a child. I don't think any of that's necessary. I think the mystery of like, you know, being bitten by a wolf who was like a random man that you didn't know. And now you are negatively impacting your community because you tried to do a good thing. I, I think is a lot more interesting without all of this daddy trauma stuff that gets wedged in there. I think it just mm. kind of bogs the movie down. And I like Anthony Hopkins, but at a certain point, I'm like, he's in this movie a little too much. Like, I don't think he's doing a whole lot for the story here. Honestly, that's kind of the part where I diverge. Like, the majority of, yeah, the stuff with the brother and the stuff basically, like, a lot of the backstory stuff with Lawrence was kind of eh, like I didn't really care about it a whole lot. Um, like I said, you know, the, the stuff in the asylum and everything, I just I feel like it didn't really add much of anything. Um, but honestly, I actually really liked um, Anthony Hopkins' character and like what he added to the things because it's not that this movie necessarily, like, and as you've said, this movie didn't necessarily need a strictly speaking antagonist, but it's difficult not to find it still kind of compelling. Like we find his, you know, like we find his, you know, shrine slash self imposed prison underneath their crypt. Or like with it has his mother in it and everything, um, you know. We see, you know, he is clearly, you know, allowed his son to become this monster, and it's you know kind of just showing the character of this guy more and more. I don't know why, for whatever reason, I actually really liked it, and I think it just fully is just that I just enjoy Anthony Hopkins as an actor. Um, I mean, that's fair. Maybe I'm just tired, especially in the current climate of like parental apology stories, which this isn't. Anthony Hopkins is a bad dad who gets killed, but yeah. uh, maybe that maybe that soured me on it a little bit. But also just the fact that it is. Technically, another piece of the Talbot family puzzle also soured me on it. So, yeah, the family curse thing is always that's a that's a very sparing gambit you want to do for a lot of stories. Um, fall like the last like like not every story can be the fall of the House of Usher. Um, and this is no fall of the House of Usher. I can tell you that this is the burning. Uh, this is the burning amidst silly wire fight of the Talbot estate. <laughs> it's um, so yeah, that's a mixed bag for sure. It's, it, it, that is the weirdest thing. If I feel like we had gotten more characterization out of maybe other members of the family or the fact that, you know, I think the, the fact that they made Gwen be the fiance and now sort of widow to um, Lawrence's brother, a little weird, not least of which the fact that they do sort of get together by the end. Because um, like, oh, my fiance is dead and has been brutally murdered. I'm going to just shack up with this new guy almost immediately who's his brother. Like, <laughs> I just, that's, 
And so I, there, there have been multiple stories in overtime that have, been, have done something similar to that, and I've hated it every time. And it's like, this is obscene. Uh, <laughs> it's like absurd. Especially for the fucking late 1800s of England. No freaking way. Um, but I feel like if they had done more due diligence with the family itself, like we had gotten maybe a thing of like, oh, maybe the werewolf thing has been a thing with their family for a long time. Or maybe there's a deeper relation between maybe like his brother was also a werewolf. Or maybe there's some other stuff that wasn't just, oh, my brother was a pretty normal dude who got got. And then also my dad is truly the worst human being to ever live. <laughs> maybe if we had a little bit more balance, it maybe would have worked out a little bit better. P potentially. <laughs> yeah. So like uh. it just it felt very it felt very overloaded, as it were. It was like it was okay, here's an extremely strange and creepy character coming out of Anthony Hopkins, who is known for playing strange and creepy characters, and also the rest of it all around it with his family is just kinda like, eh, whatever. <laughs> it's just kinda just kinda rough, you know. They had a bit of a thing about their upbringing for the fact that the two sons are you know half romani and so you know there's some racism going on with that and stuff but like that doesn't really manifest a whole lot like after the attack on the romani cap camp that pretty much gets dropped by any of the villagers they're just like oh there's a wolf monster now this is our bigger problem so yeah that that's kind of the thing too and you talking about that and talking about the uh the thing with gwen in the remake earlier uh, I'll kind of go into a couple of other gripes I have with the 2010 film, but none of these are like big story things. They're just like minor annoyances. Oh. So um, one of the big ones you already touched on, which is the the Romani mother thing, it does not matter. Like it, it is it is pointless to even have it in the movie because it doesn't do anything. Like maybe like gonna... you could say that the community already treats the Talbots as outcasts due to this fact, like even even Sir John because he married one, like a Romani woman, but just the fact that they are wolves and you don't feel sorry for Anthony Hopkins because he's a bastard man makes it all completely meaningless. Yeah, I thought they were going to do more with that when they established that the brother character was apparently like a go-between between the Romani camp and the village, but that didn't really go anywhere either, like, you know, because I was thinking like, okay, the fact that he's half Romani and half English is yeah that's gonna have a reason for them to you know connect on a certain level but the fact that they didn't actually use the romanis all that much at all which that was a that's a failing like the fact that we had the original with you know the maleva character and it like you know, the fact you know her being so permeated throughout and having a significant role throughout it and to the point of saving his life on multiple occasions and the fact that we basically got none of that in the remake was a disappointment like the, the fact like the romani being there is almost completely inconsequential other than like some vague foreshadowing that's true it doesn't it doesn't matter their inclusion at all really like maleva as a character kind of has some like lore dumps but even then like no disrespect to geraldine chaplin i i think this character was half-baked you know, she yeah. doesn't have the magnetism that Maria Spinskaya has because she's not inserting herself into the film. They don't even have her do the quote, like the, um, well, first of all, the sort of wolfman edict that even a man who is pure in heart and says his prayers by night, that whole thing is not even mentioned in the 2012, 2010 Wolfman. It's like on a tombstone as the movie opens and a yeah. narrator reads it and then it never comes up again. But also Maleva doesn't do the, the way you walk is thorny, that whole speech that, Maleva gives in the original, which is like my favorite part of the movie because I think it's really yeah. interesting. The, As the blood enters the soil, it's it's. And that's that's I, just I, the sad I fact. Like that. The sad fact is like yeah, it, there are multiple occasions where it felt like they were setting up for that and it just didn't go anywhere because we got the you know obviously in the original they didn't do a whole lot when it came to like deeper Romani lore. They just had like oh here's the symbol of the pentagram. It will protect. You. It's like the symbol of you know werewolves. It will protect you, which I didn't understand how would that protect you even though it's like their thing. <laughs> like they'll see it on their victims, but whatever. Um, 
but the fact that in the remake they actually touched upon it, it's like oh he, this is a um this there is a medallion that his brother was carrying that had a you know eastern you know european saint on it that was you know more revered among romani cultures it's like oh okay that's going to be the equivalent there and then that just like never gets brought up again for anything significant and just like it feels like it keeps having moments where it's like okay it does the poem at the beginning maybe it'll get brought up in some other way later nope okay we have the maleva character is she going to have any greater significance nope she just for some reason relates that in particular, Lawrence will have to be killed by someone who loves him, which, like, that's, why does she know, like, that's not a part of the curse, like, why, is that just specifically, she just knows that him specifically will have to die that way? Because we know full well that, I, you know, Lawrence's father doesn't get killed by someone who loves him. Yeah, I, I'm glad that you brought that up, because I didn't necessarily read it as a future thing, but I also didn't know when that was first revealed that Anthony Hopkins was going to be dying in that way. When she says that only a loved one can kill him. Immediately, I was like, okay, well, first of all, fuck off. This is 2010. Yeah. We're not really doing, like, true love breaks the curse, are we, in 2010 for a movie like this? Uh, apparently we are. But then also, to that end, it's, it's, it's like, okay, so is it that she knows what his fate is and is kind of telling the future because Anthony Hopkins is a werewolf and doesn't die that way? Or what about the fact that you know, the, the wolfman that uh, bit him. Oh, wait, that was Anthony Hopkins. Oh, my mistake. So we only have the yeah. one example to go off of, you know? But then on the other end of the spectrum, she just makes it sound like werewolves are killed by, or defeated by true love. So is it specifically the fact that she shot him that he died and the silver bullet didn't have anything to do with it? In which case, the silver bullet thing is a myth in this universe. It's It doesn't make sense. And literally, yeah. if, she, if, if the Maleva character had not sent, said that line it would not have mattered. The entire movie could have been played out exactly the same and it would have been the better for it. She could have still shot him and killed him just yeah. because she was in danger and realized that she had to put him out of his misery and you could have left the true love's shot, whatever, out of out of Maleva's mouth. It just, yeah. And I think, and you even kind of brought this up in The Stinger, where the fact that the original actually goes into a significant amount of supernatural lore regarding werewolves and the fact that, yeah, there's a lot of, like, the existence of werewolves is a supernatural phenomenon, like, you know, full stop. And, you know, Maleva's character uses, you know, either chants or spells, whatever you want to call it, to magically alter, you know, Lawrence as a character to, you know, be back to human into human form. It's very much, yeah, there is magic being involved here. There is things that are beyond the natural realm of understanding. And there's just so much in the remake where it seems like we're starting to go that direction, but it never actually manifests properly. Like the fact that, yeah, like I said, the thing with, you know, the poem at the beginning, there's no real lore talked about vampire i was about to say vampires jesus um <laughs> there's no there's no real lore about werewolves spoken about other than that moment there's no real instance of silver being a true bane against werewolves there are moments of the you know romani you know people being brought up and then possibly having a deeper understanding of them but then that doesn't really manifest and you know the whole thing of oh it has to be killed by someone who loves him it's like that wasn't any sort of particular thing of it didn't confirm whether or not oh that's her reading his fortune that's not a specific rule with werewolves in this universe no that was basically just them giving the maleva just like knowing the plot of the movie like it was just there's no real yeah. moment where there's so many moments where yeah okay this is where it could start becoming a more supernatural thing and they just refuse to do it it very much they keep werewolves very much as okay this is a thing that can just happen and that's about it it's like they treat it more as a disease at the end of the day which yeah like is an interpretation you can do for it but you got to lean a bit more into that if you're doing like, you know, this is technically a natural part of the world. It's just something we deeply don't understand. It's an extremely scary thing. Or 
it, like with that, you got to lean into that of like, okay, maybe there's some other reason why there's rules to these things. Whereas Supernatural, you don't have to have rules. You just make shit up whenever you want, and that's fine. You just got to pick one or the other. And I, I hate to harp on this as well, but oh, you, you bringing that up kind of ties back again into how 2010 Wolfman handles the family curse aspect of the the werewolves for one, and then the purpose, you know, the, the uselessness of the Romani people in the context of the movie as a second. Because the fact that this is a curse that is inherited from the family, I mean, I say inherited, but, you know, he was given it directly by Anthony Hopkins in the movie. Um, but in the supernatural sense, of, that could still be considered a curse. Like, that can still well, be considered inherited, yeah. Right, but I, I, but I again, guess yeah. what I'm getting at is that it removes Maleva's purpose from the movie. She just kind of acts as a quest giver because the reason she has so much involvement in Larry Talbot in the original Wolfman movie is because she feels partially responsible because the reason he's cursed with this Wolfman thing is due to her son who was tormented and afflicted by this curse. So she feels partially to blame and there's a bit of like, I'm angry at you for killing my son, but you're also sort of like a pathetic wretch because you're in, you, you have you know, you're tied to this fate now. Whereas in the original, or in, in the remake, it's just like, I don't have any point except to give you ex expository dialogue because I don't really have any stake in this. This is a family thing. She she does the true loves whatever with Gwen, and then she she adioses from the movie. She, you know, she yeah. has nothing to do with any of this, this other stuff, uh, which yeah. also sucks. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's... And even, like, even as you said, like, you know, kind of giving exposition dialogue, she doesn't even give that much. She gives some vague foreshadowing at best. Mostly exposition is done by yes. Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> Yeah, because he, Which, knows, you know, he knows the history. <laughs> like, that's the thing. It's weird that Anthony Hopkins has a greater set font of knowledge about werewolves and lycanthropy than the people that are meant to be, like, you know, the purveyors of the spiritual in this case. Which, like, you know, that's obviously a very stereotyped concept, but that was a big thing for a long time of, like, yeah, they're present in these movies and in these, you know, settings to provide that sort of, like, mystical side of things while also not being, you know, too far flung out of Europe. <laughs> Right. Well, I mean, we can't get, really get away with that, especially with the, the 41 version, just because, I mean, the time that it took place in and everything. I mean, we've been saying Romani like nobody's business, but the movie doesn't care. It uses Gypsy wherever it can, because yep, that's which, just, you know, that's the language. Yeah, exactly. Um, which they use it all, like occasionally, like very rarely in the remake, but mostly not. Um, right. They, Even like, as a say, period piece, they use... they're like, Goo Yeah, so it's... Yeah, yeah. So that's it's a it's that weird line we're walking here. But it's like you know if you're, and that might have also been part of the a tw that may have been a conscious effort on the 2010s version for the fact of you know they couldn't if they were doing a hard remake of the of the Wolfman which they were in this case um, which we haven't done a lot of those in in the last few which is nice um, true but the fact that they have to have the Romani you know camp present in this they may have kind of overcorrected in the fact of okay we can't really address this too much because this is a very sensitive subject nowadays. Um, this isn't just like some, oh, strange mystical people that we get to do whatever the fuck we want with. No, this is an actual living, currently vibrant people, uh, <laughs> that have gone through quite a bit of shit over the last few centuries. Um, and so they may have just kind of tried to avoid the issue altogether. And so hence, you know, the moment where the Wolfman attacks the camp, it's mostly the bigoted English villagers who are getting killed than and many of the Romani villagers. Um, and then the fact of we don't actually touch on any of their lore other than, some very straightforward, informative bits of knowledge about them. So for the fact of, oh yeah, they practice, you know, tar they use tarot cards for fortune telling and they have, you know, a practice of worshiping particular Eastern European saints or like more, you know, more known in Eastern European circles um, for saints. And that's about all we get. And otherwise they're just kind of just there. So that's, it feels very much like, oh, and these are the Romani people. They uh, came to this land and yada, 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 X year. And 
it just so they've just avoided using them for in any meaningful capacity which like I don't know if that's better or worse, and I don't think either of us are really qualified to answer that yeah. question. <laughs> the Romani people in this movie won't be saying anything or doing anything. Because yeah, God knows we are a bunch of non-Romani people making this movie, and we're not going to touch that. So, Ugh. so I don't know. I just I wish they had maybe, like, if they had maybe, you know, been more involved with Romani culture to maybe, like, let them bring in some lore and some kind of cool bits and pieces of fact into that. It would have been kind of cool, because... The fact that Drag Me to Hell has more instance of like actual Romani culture than this is weird. <laughs> <laughs> it's very, very strange. Hmm, we've been talking about you know a Drag Me to Hell episode in the future. Probably not because how would we do that? Yeah, but, no, uh, I was about to say. <laughs> oh, but uh, I guess just for one last f- thing from myself, anyways, if I'm going to shit on uh, the 2010 movie at all, uh, that bear looks awful. Oh my god! That- they, the fucking why'd they even bother? <laughs> <laughs> Completely pointless. I'm not. I, I don't. You know. I'm not saying they should have got a real bear, but. A close-up on the CGI bear? No. Bad, bad like, move, guys. That, the, the CG that was only recently matched by Cocaine Bear. My God. Um, yeah. Oh, it's, like, a, it's, a, yeah. it's a shame if that this movie from 12 years ago, uh, look, 13 years ago, looks better than Cocaine Bear. Oh, my God, yeah. So, in comparison to Cocaine Bear, it's an incredible bear. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but in all other instances of quality, it's just there. It's there for maybe 30 seconds on screen, if that. Um, just to be like, yeah, oh, just... this is... like it's just It's meant to be the thing of, like... Again, I think that's exactly you know the exact reason why they ha- even have it in the movie at all. There needed to be a reason for the villagers to come out to the Romani camp and therefore get slaughtered. Like, if it weren't for that, there would have been no English villagers there or going after the Romani for whatever reason. They could have just come after the Romani because they're racist, but no, they had to also create the scapegoat of dancing bear. So it just feels like at every instance they're creating more things of we're not bringing it onto the Romani directly. <laughs> it's like I just yeah I don't know. It just feels weird. The more it feels like I can see more and more of it, the more I look. Which yeah. I'm probably harping on it more than I need to, but it's it's funny how many times I've noticed like, oh yeah, here's another thing that without their involved like if without this specific instance it would have been pointless. So it's Yeah, this this whole movie is pointless basically because it does a lot of things yeah. without doing anything. Yeah. And I'm sure, that's the sad I'm sure fact I made is, my hand known, so <laughs> you know. And see that's the sad fact is like I still enjoyed the remake more. I gotta say, I was just getting kinda bored, even after even with only an hour long film. I think I've just I've been oversaturated with films from this era at this point where just a lot of times it's just kind of people on screen chatting and like, you know, like I said, very 1940s accents and vocal performances and everything, which they were very well acted scenes. And obviously, you know, with um, I've completely blanked on his uh, fucking name, uh, Lon Chaney uh, on screen, obviously, is, you know, the tour de force that he is um, all, you know, great scenes having him and everything. And obviously, you know, the guy playing his father, Claude Rains, was, like I said, a very you know grounding character. But golly, it's just it's hard to really feel any kind of sense of thrill watching this, which I know this comes with me having grown up not in the 1940s. And so, you know, I have the benefit of modern technology, but I don't know. I just, I couldn't really get into it near as much as I did with the remake. I think he did a great job. I think he kind of played this very kind of dreadful, like dreading character. You know, we don't really kind of, like the fact that, you know, he's clearly got something going on in his head kind of makes us a little bit unnerved by him, even when he's meant to be the good guy. Um, I think he just he brings a cool energy to that character. I think I, I think he's a very underrated actor in general, um, and so I just I felt more compelled by the performances on screen for the remake. It's just once I start to dig into it that I realize, man, they did a whole lot. <laughs> they did a whole, they did very little with a whole lot <laughs> versus the original doing the opposite. Um, and it's just it's hard to really say it. But I still I still prefer the remake just because I ultimately for me it comes down to entertainment. 
I found it more entertaining. I thought the action was pretty good. I liked what they added to the scenes and everything. And like I said, the fact that, you know, expanded out into the wider world rather than just this very enclosed instance, I think just added to the thrill of the situation. It's, but yeah, I, I, I'll say all that while recognizing that it's, while not filled with pot, plot holes, it's filled with like plot scuff marks, if that makes any sense. It, yeah. It's, I, it, it, it's got it's got moments where it's just like if they hadn't brought this up it wouldn't have meant anything and the fact that they brought it up and it amounted to nothing is just kind of weird so it didn't really affect the plot but it also didn't help it right and i i guess i, I think i'm on the other side of the fence and that isn't to say that i was entirely thrilled with the wolfman 41 i wasn't really thrilled with either of these at the end of my at the end of the day i think that the universal uh, the 41 Wolfman uh, left a lot to be desired. I, I thought it would be, you know, Claude Rains, Maria Spinskaya, there are definitely highlights in there that I praise and I like the way that the story is sort of paced out, but this is far from anywhere near my favorite, even just universal monster movies, let alone horror movies. So neither yeah. of these really did anything for me. So I'm just going off of what I think is the better the better made and constructed movie. And even, even if a lot of it is nitpicky nonsense, I think I just, I have too many problems with the 2010 one and I didn't really enjoy my time with it. So I think I'm on the Fair. other end of things this time. 40, I feel 41 was better. I mean, hey, it's rare that we've gotten the, you know, chance to have such movies tie up against each other like this. Exactly. Yeah, Welcome to They Remade It, the, the only podcast where... Uh, the hosts never argue. They just uh, politely disagree and then stop talking about it. Yeah, like, I mean, you know, our just whatever mindset we've kind of gotten in our lives. If y'all want vitriol, it's not really here. At the very least, it's not vitriol that we enact out at each other. We just kind of, like, voice it out to, I don't know, society at large. Yeah. Or the, depart or the, depart or the Departed or at Disney. Yeah, I'd say I'd say we get very angry very frequently, just not at one another. So yeah, we just we tend to like we tend to bond over our anger more than anything. Like whenever we're not angry, that's usually when we have our more nuanced opinions that tend to diverge. When we're angry, we are angry about the same shit every single time. Yeah, it's like yeah, it's, yeah, it's like you know what? Fair enough. That's that's all you need sometimes. You know, we don't. There's a there's enough, enough conflict in the world. Insert whatever thing is going on when you're listening to this, because God knows it's probably something new. Um, so welcome to they remade it where. We're just angry at Disney more than anything. <laughs> yeah. The the Disney who is currently looking to purchase EA. Solid. <laughs> another another head another head to this decaying Hydra. Yeah. <laughs> if you wanted a depressing bit of news at the end of the podcast. Oh god. Oh. But everyone's yeah, trying to buy um, everyone now. Oh yeah. There there's uh there's no way around it. Uh I, well, I think not, there was well, a... only thing that's not getting bought is us. <laughs> Yeah, no one wants we, to buy me. What the hell? We'll keep coming at you with the hard facts with no outside opinions to influence us, whether we want that or not. Yeah, Speaking of... We are independent by choice and also the environment. Oh, brought to you by HelloFresh. Oh, God. The, the service that will send you a whole chunk of Glacier to keep your food cold in the fucking box. My God. Oh, all right. Well, I, had it, uh, I had it for a little while. Sorry, sorry. I just wanted to get that one out because every time I think back on, it, I'm like, God, they are. That's probably the most wasteful service I've ever had. I, I understand. Um, I don't. I don't want to take away from that at all. But um, to you know, sort of rounding out the show here because we've definitely given our, our final thoughts and opinions on the matter. Uh, let's go into our very special question. Uh, I don't know if you have anything. If not, I have something. I don't. I might by the end of the segment because I tend to think more off the cuff. But right now, I don't. Sure. Okay. So um, we have a load of Universal uh, monster movies out there, and to this point, we've covered 
pretty much all of them. The only Universal monsters that are remaining would be The Invisible Man, The Mummy, Bride of Frankenstein, and The Creature from the Black Lagoon. Now, Bride of Frankenstein is a movie, but it doesn't have a remake, and that's more of a character than anything, and Creature of the Black Lagoon doesn't have a remake or anything. Um, so, hey, The Mummy and The Invisible Man are the last two that we have to cover uh, to complete the Universal monsters. But that was sort of a roundabout way to get to my question of, if you weren't completely sick and tired of Universal monster movies from the 30s yeah. and 40s, these black and white horror movies... Uh, what, what, what monster or cryptid or something like that would you, would you want them to have taken a crack at? Ooh, that is interesting. I'm surprised there has never really been a film, a good film about Bigfoot. I know there have been films about Bigfoot, but most of them have been truly terrible. Um, I think there's more than one Mystery Science Theater 3000 on episodes on different Sasquatch films. Um, yeah, I've never seen a good horror Bigfoot movie. You know, Harry and the Hendersons is a pretty good movie, but that's a comedy. You know, yeah. I can't think of a good a good horror, like a monster Bigfoot movie. They're all awful. Which I guess, I guess to be fair, there's never really been a grand consensus, at least in pop culture, that Bigfoot is an evil character. He's more, it's more just meant to be like, this is just an unknown creature. This is just like an un properly undocumented creature living somewhere in the American wilderness. And often not, is often portrayed as peaceful. Um, so I guess that would make sense why it's never really been done. I'm just surprised no one's tried to take a crack at that. Considering, you know, we've had shit about, like, evil leprechauns and shit. Yeah. Which I guess, to be fair, the yeah, lore behind leprechauns is pretty fucked up. But, you know, that's just because most Irish folklore in general is pretty fucked up. So that, that nation's been through a bit, folks. Most of their background lore is going to be kind of wacky. <laughs> the the grand takeaway is, uh, to my knowledge, to our knowledge, there are no good Bigfoot horror movies. So, If I had to pick another one, though, and I'm just going to go with cryptids here. I'm Well, I guess cryptids or just kind of legends. Um, either the Jersey Devil, since that one's pretty wild, um, or a proper thing talking about like the Kraken, like as a sea monster, because we've done sea monster movies before, and sea monster stories in general are fairly common. Surprised, there's never really been a specific thing centered on the Kraken, because we've seen a it show up in a bunch of things, and it's often referenced in regards to like pirates and just seafaring legends in general. But there's never really been a big instance of someone trying to go okay here's a story about it where we're going to go into a lot of its lore it's always just kind of like it's an extra thing like oh and now the kraken shows up which you know pirates yeah. of the caribbean is basically the instance of that um the clash of the titans or it's, yeah, it's yeah. like a it's a means to an end basically uh, yeah as opposed to it, its own monster it's so. more an existential threat versus having like a background or that sort of thing which i guess makes sense in most cases of sea monsters they're more meant to be representative of something than anything else like the fact of you know, Moby Dick is meant to be like, you know, basically the judgment of God or something. I can't remember. Um, rather than just, it's not just a whale. Um, right. So it's, it's meant to represent something more than anything. Cause that's just kind of how the sea is. There's not a whole lot of sense to be made out there. But there's a lot of metaphors. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, but, I, but to that end, otherwise then yeah, probably the Jersey devil. Cause I'm surprised with such an American story and like how very much like there's, a, it feels like there's a, a lot of very Americanized, creatures and legends that have had movies made about them i mean god knows we, the wendigo has been brought up in some capacity or other a lot for the last even just like 10 years um so i'm surprised something that you know in a very much more urbanized setting like the Jer jersey devil has been kind of touched on more yeah I'm, I'm sure there are jersey devil movies but they're probably like those you know if blockbuster was still around something on the bottom row that you know right yeah. been touched and no i like that as an answer the closest thing i could think to come to that would be a movie I've talked about a number of times on this podcast that uh, a lot of people have mixed opinions on, but I really like it. Uh, the last broadcast, which is like the pseudo PBS documentary about the, the individuals going to search for the Jersey devil in the pine barrens. Uh, oh, that yeah. being said, the, the Jersey, the movie's not about the Jersey devil because that's not a creature that appears in the movie. That's like 
the framing device or the backdrop for this fake documentary about these people that went missing. So, yeah. you know, an actual earnest movie about the creature that's actually good. I, I'd buy into that. That that would be interesting. Uh, the Flatwoods Monster I'd also like to see. Hmm. Um, just because of how strange it is. I'd like to see, like, specifically from a Universal Monster movie lens from, like, the 30s or the 40s, what the creature design for a Flatwoods Monster would look like. That has my yeah. interest peaked. That, it... Both of these answers kind of feel like something that could pop up in, like, one of the VHS films, honestly. Like, those, like, yeah. different vignette <laughs> things where, like, it's a shorter story and it's more just about, you know, these individuals encountering some bullshit monster and they're just reacting to it. Like, what the hell is happening? Versus, like, having a whole thing of, you know, plot background and that sort of thing, which I guess you could kind of do more with the Jersey Devil since there's supposedly a lot, a lot of lore behind it. Like, it's, you know, kind of basically grows up as, like, a young Hellboy, essentially. Yeah, was it the 13th? Off. The thirteenth child of the Leeds family, or was right. it uh, an experiment that escaped? Or so like, there's, it, it feels like there's more to grip onto with that one, at least. So that you can make a bigger movie out of it. But also, yeah, it also just feels like it could be one of those situations in VHS where it's like, oh, they just encounter a Gorgon in this one. That's wild. <laughs> uh, beyond Evil. that, I can't really think of anything else major. Most, it feels like most other monsters have kind of been touched on in some capacity or another. Um, there's obviously like obviously there's a more cryptids and even just the apple area of Appalachia that you can check a stick at, but not all of them are really movie worthy. In fact, most of them yeah. aren't. I don't really care about a Loveland Frog movie, so yeah. Or what <laughs> yeah. is it? It was a look for some kind of like dragon thing that just spews up blood and stuff. And then there's also like a one about a wolf that walks like a crab, which is like this is just wacky. <laughs> it's... Yeah. Ooh, the famous crab wolf movie. Nah, yeah. probably not. <laughs> <laughs> um i guess though if uh, i had also posed a question um this is kind of more of like a sleepover question than anything but you know what fuck it we're friends we can do no, that sort sure. of thing if you had to be stuck in one horror movie universe which one would you want to be stuck in because that can be a nuanced thing mm. of certain horror movies there's really just nothing different th to our knowledge than to our own world like nightmare on elm street it's like yeah we don't live on elm street we wouldn't be worried about right. that shit um but there are other ones like you know the you know jason in the future friday the 13th in the future or whatever that one was called um you know or aliens and that sort of thing um i would be terrified to be in the friday the 13th universe because i'd be like well i guess there's a bunch of killings at camp but i hate the outdoors so i'm not gonna go but the minute that motherfucker goes to manhattan on a boat i'm like okay it's all over he, he, he could be at my door tomorrow yeah. I, I, I can't <laughs> I, yeah that's fair uh um, that's a good it's a weird it's a weirder question huh. i recognize because like there aren't many horror movie universes where that necessarily would mean anything. Like I said, most of these occur are meant to occur in like something adjacent to our own reality. But there's a few on occasion that will kind of do something different. Yeah, I mean like Hellraiser maybe because as so long as I'm not fucking around with that puzzle box, I'm probably not going to incur the wrath of any of the Cenobites. But if if I were to, if the question was if I lived in that universe and was aware of what was going on, like even if I was nowhere near that so, box, yeah. I would be terrified to know that another universe of pleasure pain monsters exist mm -hmm. I, I would be i would be furious with the creator that allowed that to happen yeah um, fair <laughs> i think but yeah it'd probably be something like that for me it, 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 it would it would have i mean because we're talking horror here it would have to yeah. be a universe where i would be you know there would be horror things happening but i would be the furthest away from the epicenter of it as possible i would not be affected <laughs> that has to be that's fair i think if i had to pick one and this one might be a stretch for horror but i'm gonna count it just because like of what happens and what the kind of context of it is. There's a Finnish found film movie called Trolls or Troll Hunter, maybe. Um, oh yeah. Troll Hunter. Yeah. Troll Hunter. That was it. Um, in which, you know, these, you know, people in 
I believe Finland, Scandinavia, somewhere in that general region, um, encounter the fact that trolls, like ancient trolls that turn to stone in sunlight, actually exist and are being basically hidden from public view and are actively hunted by, like, you know, government-assigned hunters and things. I think that's wild, and I think that'd be a badass, you know, source of employment is, oh, I'm this, this like, employed monster hunter. Um, and so I think that's just, it's just a very cool concept that they had going on with that, and I just, it's a very cool idea of a world where, you know, these mythical creatures actually do exist, but they're basically being covered up by governmental forces. Like, I think that's just a wild concept in general, so... I think if I needed to be stuck in one, I'd probably pick that one if only just because, like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> um, so, yeah, because I, I couldn't imagine myself in, like, you know, the it, the, the thing universe. <laughs> like, god damn, do I not want to have to worry about that? Yeah, no, <laughs> no thanks. Yeah, and like I said, I know that, that that's maybe stretching the concept of a horror movie, but I'm counting it just because, like, you know, there's a fair bit of, you know, fear and stress going on in that movie it's all about like hunting monsters who might then also hunt you like yeah it's a, i think that's a pretty cool concept um, yeah no i agree with that it's just it, it it's it's funny because i mean like you were saying it's just most of those horror movies have like a specific sort of destiny like even like even like weird stupid horror movies like evil speaks that that clint howard movie where he has like the demonic the demonic computer or whatever. Yeah. It's like, okay, well, I'm just not going to bully Clint Howard. Like I don't bully people. So I'm not, he's going to be like, don't come to school tomorrow because I got my deep, my computer possessed by Beelzebub and I'm going to be taking it out on the staff. Like, okay, I'm just not going to show up. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think that's most of it. Like, I guess the, the, the ones that I would be the most afraid of would be something like, I don't like saw. That motherfucker oh, yeah. just went to Mexico and did that. Like he's all over the place. Like I, yeah. I'm not living. In, I'm not living in Saw times because I don't know if I'm going to run into this guy at the bank and he's like, "Oh, that guy, you know, doesn't appreciate his life." And then tomorrow yeah. I got my head stuck stuck in a radiator or something. Yeah. Or imagine being stuck in the SCP universe where there's so many stories at this point that I'm just have to ask. You know what? How is the Earth even still a thing with the amount of crazy bullshit that this universe supposedly has? Like, yeah. It's like it feels like every other object you might stumble over might either be some silly wacky thing like a bouncy ball that doesn't ever stop bouncing or it might be the origins of the heat death of the universe that will make you feel death for a billion years I'm like what the hell there's <laughs> just some weird shit going on with that universe yeah well that's what you get when you have literally everyone on the internet that can just write anything and the admins are like put it in yeah. like, sure why not God, I used to frequent that one pretty consistently because I thought some of the concepts written on there were actually pretty interesting. But then as I kept going and just the entries got longer and longer and longer, and I'm like, I, I like I liked the early days when it was like, here's this weird statue. You got to keep it in a room and you can't look away from it, and that's it. Meanwhile, now it's this new thing's up. We have to invent entire new realities of technology to be able to even comprehend this thing. And you have to explain it for 20 pages, and I don't know whether I'm read what I'm reading is based on any kind of scientific knowledge or is just complete, like, you know, just like science gobbledygook that you're just trying to make me think his words. So it's yeah, it's it's just it's fanfic run amok. It, I have to if I have to read the word amnesticized one more friggin' time. <laughs> they love they love their like anesthetic, you know, amnesiac drugs in those short stories. I tell you. Yeah. <laughs> also, uh, this isn't strictly a horror movie, um, but if I had to pick one other universe to be stuck in, it's the um, mystery flesh pit universe. <laughs> oh okay <laughs> yeah you remember that one uh yeah <laughs> yeah for those who don't know um it's a universe like it's a conceptualized universe where there's just like discovered to be this giant macro organism living under basically as like 
caves worth of this giant organism that gets allocated as a national park. And you can just go visit this giant pit of flesh in like southern Oklahoma or some shit. It's weird. I love it. <sighs> that's a, that's uh, probably about it. That's all I can. That's all I really got on that subject. <laughs> all right. Yeah, I can't say I can't say I have much. We had good questions this week. Look forward to next week. All right, <laughs> make it more bullshit. Look, yeah, what a great ending for that segment. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> look forward to more of the same. No, it's my fault. I didn't end it right. Oh, no. but anyways, uh, we can head into socials now. I think we've waffled plenty. <laughs> yep. Uh, so go ahead and follow us on any of your favorite podcasting platforms. We are on uh, Apple Podcasts. Uh, I. I think Google Play podcasts are going away, so I'm going to have to edit this again. But uh, oh, <laughs> So don't find us on the Google Podcast thing. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Podbay, Podomatic, uh, YouTube. So many of them are just shuddering anymore. It's 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 hard to keep track. But uh, we are hosted on Spotify for podcasters. That also changed. Man, this year is bad for podcast uh, apps. I, yeah, I tell Jesus. You. <laughs> Woof. Uh, yeah, but go ahead and subscribe to us on any of those. Leave us likes, favorites, comments, whatever you want to do to stay up to date on uh, new episodes. And that only helps. Speaking of helping, uh, go ahead and send us an email. They remade it at gmail.com if you got ideas on uh, op- uh, episodes that we can cover in the future. We always like to hear things like that, as well as what you think we're doing well, what you think you're doing wrong. We're doing wrong. I don't care what you're doing wrong. Uh, or if you just want to chat. Yeah, then you, you can know. tell us what you're so, doing wrong, and we might maybe help you. <laughs> I'll play armchair psychiatrist for you, you know, like a regular yeah. Dr. Katz. I'll listen to your problems. Why not? We we got we got other stuff going on, I guess. But you know, we can spare we can spare a minute. Yeah, I have my own problems, but let me fix yours. Yeah, that, and I feel like I just summed up a lot of arguments online. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I know better. I can help other people with relationship advice, but I can't do it myself. Do as I say, <laughs> not as I do. Anywho, go ahead and follow us at It Remade on Twitter slash X for updates on when new episodes of the podcast are going live, potential future episodes that we could cover on the podcast, uh, posters and art and things for games, books, uh, movies, TV shows that we have been engaging with uh, in previous episodes, and full circle diagrams that I have been good putting together documenting people that we've covered on the show more than one time. Uh, and that's it for socials. Well, fantastic. Uh, I think this kind of wraps us up for the Halloween season, unless I've completely forgotten my next film. Um, nope. Uh, well, actually, that's kind of interesting because next film is not a horror film, but it's kind of gonna it's gonna bridge the gap a little bit. Let's say it's not hey. entirely horror, but there are some spooky elements, so that'll take us nicely into the the end of the year. Yeah. There we go. We get to less of a hard shift this time around. Yeah, and maybe before want... the next episode happens, Stuart will remember what it is. I probably won't until you tell me, because. <laughs> oh boy, the memory the memory's like a colander sometimes, I swear. Holds on to the bigger stuff, that being random useless facts, and forgets the import the useless stuff like names and the birthdays of loved ones. Oh wow. No, nah, not that. <laughs> nah, not that bad. I got I I used to, I don't anymore, because that is a mistake you make exactly once. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say it sounds like someone's been wiping your mind with some sort of memory device. Uh no, that's just kind of been just life in general. Just kind of like you, you try retaining all the shit that's going on lately. Yeah. Well, I, I just ignore it. So I don't have to, <laughs> you know what? Fair. I should try that. <laughs> well, as always, I am your sometimes forgetful, maybe host Stuart. <laughs> and I'm a uh, Keter class Jacob, I guess. <laughs> yeah. There's a reference for all six people of our listeners that will do SCP stuff. <laughs> yeah. Uh, have a good night, everybody. So long.
way you walked was thorny, through no fault of your own. But as the rain enters the soil, the river enters the sea, so tears run to a predestined end. Your suffering is over. Now you will find peace for eternity.